Hi everyone, Paul from the innovation community here. Today I'm with Darren Robertson and Darren's in a really interesting role focusing on using data to make better decisions in education. Uh, thanks for joining us, Darren. Hi, thanks Paul. Thanks for inviting me on. Just tell us a bit about yourself in a few words to start. So, a bit about me. Um, not your average data person have had a very weird journey to where i am now um but data is definitely my love and passion and um education is another big passion of mine and kind of being able to combine the two of those together is just uh really fantastic um that along with working with charities uh, as well uh, it's been a really exciting time um yeah i think that's excellent stuff so where did your data career really start so I started off as a as a lonely web analyst, um, as, as so many people do. Uh, back in in the early days, actually, you know, I, I'd left school. Um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was passionate about photography. Uh, so I got into the photography industry. I know it sounds really strange way to get into data, but I so I joined the the, the photography industry and and I was a portrait photographer for a few years and um, then people just didn't want to pay out that sort of money. And I, I kind of moved over to stock photography. Um, and then that became really hard to do because suddenly, you know, people were pay, charging, you know, a dollar uh, for, for a picture. And, and I just had to, I had to learn how to market myself uh, digitally and I had to set up my own website. Uh, and then I just, I came across like the original version of like Google Analytics. Uh, and it was just really enlightening. And that really set me off on that, on that journey and I, I kind of just fell in love with analyzing data particularly web data and that's kind of where I started my career chomping at the bit at, at web analytics awesome stuff so what are you up to in your current role so I kind of split at the moment so uh, obviously I, I work running the data function for primary leap uh, my education company uh, I'm also working with a charity at the moment as well um, which is called Save the Children, uh, and, and I'm working with them predominantly uh, as their lead analyst for, for digital, kind of helping them to get where they need to be, kind of getting towards the end of that uh, kind of space, really. Uh, and I'm really focusing in kind of where can we do really great stuff with education and data. Uh, and it's been a passion of mine for a long time, and it's taken a long time to build our business up to where it is now, uh, going through lots and lots of different kind of iterations of how can we teach people how can we find more engaging ways for children to be involved in education uh, and so at the moment what we're doing is we're looking at how data can really affect that child's learning journey now obviously my business uh, deals with primary school children but i think you know it's a much wider sort of area to be looking at and, and what we can do with with primary school children it can be used with uh, senior school children and it's definitely kind of already being used in kind of advanced learning that you and i may do online for example so what's really the crux of it what really interests you about working with data i think it's about that helping a business to really make a difference through the use of data. I mean, data is just so important these days. You cannot run a business on gut instinct. It's just not possible. Uh, 
Um, it's so important that the very smallest business, you know, your, your corner shop at the end of the road, they are using data. They may not realize how they're using it. It's by actually just teaching people how that, just turning that on its head just slightly and looking at it in a different light can really make a huge difference to your business. And that's what really drives me in wanting to work with data. And let's take a deep dive into the education space because it's not something that we've really addressed on the podcast. So what ways can data really help education? So I think, I think most, most of your audience will be familiar with the kind of what most people think, which is it's all about test scores, test assessment scores uh, that kids have done. You know, standard, all of that standardized testing won't be SATs or GCSEs or, or whatever it is, but actually data is way more important in education and is much deeper than just that very top level. It's about um, safety of children. It's around uh, attendance, you know, understanding you know, if, if a child's missing school a lot, or it's about helping parents. It's about um, helping the students themselves. Students need data to understand where, where they're succeeding and where maybe they need to spend a little bit extra time and effort. Um, it can be used for adaptive learning algorithms, um, understanding written content. We can see that there are way more online learning platforms today than there were five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, and obviously that industry hasn't moved massively in line with kind of like how we have with data, you know, so using machine learning to understand written context and being able to digitize that to be able to present back to the user to, to score or whatever it is. So, I mean, there's a very many elements that could be used uh, from a data perspective, but I think what really is interesting is kind of adapting learning um, algorithms, understanding the needs of the child. So as you know, and I'm sure every one of your, your listeners understands is everybody learns really differently and there's no single way to learn. And unfortunately our modern school systems don't really cater for that. You've got textbooks, you've got a teacher telling you what, what to do, telling you what, um, what you're learning. But some people just can't learn at that speed. Some people need auditory, some people need visuals, some people actually just want books. And I think it's about understand, using data to understand how, how different areas of education affect children in different ways and what those learning methods are and trying to get underneath what that is uh, and trying to use data to try and understand where that is but also around in what order should we be learning things you know you've learned this so maybe we should ask you to learn this piece of content next you know this particular um, subject or this particular unit in a subject because the prerequisites for what you learn in there you've just learned here and so it's about looking at lots of children's learning journeys and looking at the best routes of learning and I think that's something that we don't do a lot of really in in this country or, or across the world yeah it's a really innovative uh, fresh approach so what role does technology have to play on this on this sector then on the education space so i think you know problems that we have here particularly in the uk is class sizes are quite large um children all learn at different speeds teachers only ever going to teach at the happy medium. Some children are naturally going to get left behind uh, whilst other children are really excelling. 
Now, both of those, you know, if you're smack bang in the middle, you probably haven't got much to worry about. But if you are either of those extremes, a child that's struggling or a child that is so good at it that they should probably be in the next year above, then, then both these two, two sets of children are being curtailed in, the, in their ability to learn and develop. And I think technology plays a massive part in helping to liberate that. And we see, you know, companies like Udemy, Coursera, we see all of these companies, they're all aimed at adults, but nobody's really looking at that kind of scope and technology for children. And how can we bring that into children's education so that a child that's in, uh, you know, maybe more advanced at math can actually just be moving on ahead um, beyond what they're learning in the classroom uh, using digital to kind of join on to their you know their classroom education because at the end of the day classroom education is still really important because technology will never you know replace the physically meeting people there's that kind of aspect of learning that you have in school so you know it's about actually making sure that children have the ability to a fully engage and learn at the speed that they want to do but also to support those children that may be struggling a bit and finding better ways to help them learn whether it be video content taking them through um, some mass calculations very slowly or whether it be helping them with uh, learning a language all of these things can be done from a digital aspect and data drives how we do that so a more bespoke approach which i think is great but what are the really the big barriers to to changing the the culture in schools wow that's that is that's a big question um i'll be honest with you i think I think we have a bit of an antiquated system. Um, I'm going to put that out there. It's quite a controversial thing to say, but I think a lot of people would agree with me that, you know, our, our education, our teachers are amazing. Don't get me wrong. We have amazing teachers in this country. Um, but I feel, I feel for them. Uh, I had a neighbor who, who was a teacher. Uh, she used to come home and she'd still be marking stuff at nine, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and there's things like this that, should teachers really be doing that should they not be focusing on educating the children which is what they became teachers about uh and i think you know there's parts of the problem of of the, of the education system we have um i think technology getting access to technology is a problem we know that there are a lot of children in this country that don't have smartphones don't have access to to a you know a computer or they have shared resources in their home so i think there's definitely something around that but it's about actually we don't take an approach to blended digital learning in the classroom it's not really prevalent yet and i think that's kind of where we need to go we see it in in definitely um sort of private schools where you see kids with tablets at their desk and what have you it's not there in our mainstream education and that obviously creates a big educational divide for those children who aren't able to have you know those resources so i think it's about trying to level up is our is our biggest problem a pretty pretty good assessment there so so back to yourself just throughout your career what do you would you say that some of the major successes that you've achieved throughout that time are uh, so I, I think probably some of my major successes would be um, working with Action for Children, uh, so UK uh, children's charity, uh, where actually I, I, this is very much in the days of uh, big data hype, where uh, everybody was talking about store everything because 
technology technology for storage is cheap and efficient so just store everything because you might want it at some point uh, and obviously we live in this world where it's like store nothing <laughs> absolutely different but um back then when everybody was like looking at big data hadoop uh how could we do you know clever stuff with that one of the biggest uh pieces that i did was actually working with action for children to have a look at how could we better communicate with our audience you know charities are very guilty of broadcast messaging um, and I'm very was very much of the opinion that uh, people want to listen will not support a children's charity just because it's a children's charity there'll be something that emotionally connects them to that charity but it's not going to be the same for every single person so it was about looking at thematic analysis looking at how um, how and why people wanted to give and then working at how can we tailor communications and use data to enhance those communications to really kind of click with that individual to kind of moving to a more one-to-one -one marketing basis and you know no other charity was really looking at it in this way at that time uh, back in those days and I think that that was one of my biggest successes was taking an organization that's seriously old um, and that the fact that that charity is an old charity means it's a lot harder to change the dial. <clears throat> you know, innovation and change is difficult in bigger, older organizations. So uh, being able to help them pivot and show them the real understanding of why data should be at the heart of everything they do uh, was a big win for me and a big win for, for my career as well. Yeah, it sounds like it. So what would you say the the biggest impact you had on the transformation? Would it be the, the case study you just mentioned or would, would it be something else? So, yeah, I, I would say that as well. Um, but there are other things that I, I think I've really capitalized on. I definitely, from a transformation perspective and driving change, um, I, I'm a real champion of data governance. Uh, there are a lot of analysts out there that will tell you, uh, particularly web-focused people, that they hate GDPR. I tell you, it's the best thing that's ever happened. I think it's amazing. Love GDPR because actually what it does is it allows us to communicate efficiently with, with budgets, our marketing budgets, trying to communicate with people who just don't want to be communicated to. Um, and so kind of championing data governance, I think, has been a really important thing throughout my career. Uh, for all the places I worked, and I think I've driven impact in every organisation I've worked with, from a data governance point of view, because I've always sat there being a real champion of whether it be GDPR or how we're using data, why are we using this data, really interrogating the rationale and reasons behind us even storing that data. And I think that's really helped a lot of businesses that I've worked with over the years. And how would you describe your leadership style? Obviously, approaching an, an older organization that is in need of change is, is probably requires a certain delicacy. Yeah. Could I give myself a single leadership style? I don't think I can, to be honest, Paul. I'm, 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 my leadership style is, is, is Darren Robertson leadership style. And I think, you know, everybody's really different. I would say I'm probably... If we were looking at kind of stereotypical naming conventions of of leadership style, I would say I'm probably a cross between three. Uh, that would be authoritative, um, pace setting, uh, and affiliative. I think people, it's all about people at the end of the day, and I, and I have to care 
really deeply for my people and I have to protect them and I have to nurture them. That's really, really important part of, of who I am. It's really important part of what makes me hopefully the type of data leader that people want to listen to. Um, people are at the heart of everything. If you haven't got engaged, good people, it doesn't matter what technology or what your style is, you'll never get where you want to get to. But at the same time, you know, having a senior role, being a senior leader, you know, in my own company and driving a big team, I still have to muck in and, and do as I do is a really important thing as well. You know, I can't expect people, if I'm telling people to do X, Y, and Z, and they're not seeing me show, exhibit the, the same kind of skills or the same approach, then how can I expect them to do that? And I think that's really, really important. But obviously, you know, I have to have the authority and the vision to kind of set where we need to be. So it's, it's a combination of all three of those, really, that, that make up the way that I manage and, and lead people. And where do you see the biggest opportunity for improvement? Or let's say, where, where do you think the next step is for Primary Leap right now? So... I think for us, it's, 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 it's getting into workflows, automation of workflows, understanding the big picture uh, of education, but not just at a local UK level. It's about looking at it worldwide. It's about looking at how and in which order people are learning stuff. And is, is, if I learn X before Y, does my score improve? It's about looking at what, in what way should we be teaching people um, and what order should they be learning particular things? Now, obviously, in the school world, you'll have an hour lesson here and an hour lesson there. But maybe it's actually not about doing an hour of this and an hour of that. Maybe it's about learning this particular piece of math and then going off and doing a piece of physics um, or a bit of chemistry. Because actually, what you've just learned is inherently transferable into that next lesson that you are going to learn. So it's about joining those dots to facilitate kind of like a reinforcement learning process of everything that you learn because obviously language is in everything that we do math is in a lot of things that we do and it's about joining up all those dots and I think I think that's kind of where we're we're moving towards for sure and I think it's about also looking at adaptive learning styles so you know when when do we need to be presenting children with video content and how can we get children to engage in 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 learning is it that they need some written content that they can take away and read again and again and again maybe they want to highlight stuff for themselves in it is it that they want some audio content because actually audio content would help them understand it better and and learn it so it's about actually trying to understand what the needs of that child is from a, a digital perspective and i think that's where we are trying to kind of hopefully move towards over over the next sort of 12 to 24 months and has covid really affected that progress at all and also your role so COVID's been really strange uh, for myself and my business. Um, it's given us a boost in, in customers. So from a customer perspective, sales perspective, COVID has been really great for us. Um, I think it has also highlighted some really real stark insights into our society. Um, you know, we're all on lockdown. People thought, well, kids will still be able to learn, but actually it's become really apparent that there's a massive technology gap for children uh, across the country. Um, and I think that's become really more evident. And I'm hoping that, you know, we can 
find companies like uh, telecommunications companies uh, and people who can maybe look to donate you know old technology so that at least we can try and get some more technology out there to children i think that's like a, a really good thing um and i'm hoping that you know covid has highlighted some of that particularly for a huge amount of difference now i'm not a believer in having an office so we primarily one of our, our main rules is we do not have a central office we do not have uh, a policy of we need to hire people from a 50 mile radius i think that's really really important i want to get the right type of people for my business to do the, and the skill sets that they have to do the jobs that i need them to do and i don't want to limit my talent pool to a 50 mile radius to a building so um for us we have a, a work from home policy anyway and we have specific areas where people can kind of come together as well in those specific areas where we have uh, more bigger groupings of teams um so for example our development team um they are all fairly well situated near each other so that it gives them the ability to kind of meet up as well so um that's not really affected us However, you know, I've been working with, like, say, the children as well, big organisation, office, central London. And I've been really proud of how they've actually been able to deal with COVID, you know. The larger the organisation, the harder it is to kind of move your team outside of that well-known infrastructure that you have that is the office. Um, and they've coped really well to be quite honest with you, but I've seen quite a lot of other companies out there that have really, really struggled to, to digitize and mobilize their teams to be working from home. And I think it's a real challenge for, for a lot of companies out there. Yeah, two, two very different perspectives there. Uh, what do you think the biggest mistake you made during your career was? Um, it's got to be very narrow at the start, uh, very, very narrow, focused, um, didn't really push myself the way that I feel I should have. Um, yeah, like, I think it's really important. Like if you want to be a data person to try and get as much breadth as quickly as you can to kind of, there will be areas that you will specifically want to focus in on and, and become a specialist in, whether that be web analytics or CRM analysis or machine learning or data science. I mean, like all of these disciplines, uh, are, are quite narrow it and niche in their own right but i think you know if at the beginning of your career there's so there's just such a big vast area that i think it's really good to get as much exposure as you can you know shadowing other people spending that kind of time that's where i made my mistakes was kind of being very narrow focused working just doing what i was doing and not really focusing on what other data people in my own organization were doing like shadowing like data engineer engineers and stuff would have been beneficial to me back then and would have helped me maybe to create a different learning process for my myself because you know i'm a big fan of learning journeys i think self-learning is really really important if you want to succeed in data you've got to teach a lot of stuff yourself uh, and you've got to become passionate about wanting to learn let's face it our industry changes dramatically every single day if i wake up and this there's another 20 new platforms there's another 20 new connectors that have just come out on the market and it's like well hey <laughs> what do i do here so you know got to be passionate about self-learning and so i think that's that's really important and what's the best piece of advice you ever received best piece of advice don't give up keep on um 
you know, you're not going to please everybody all of the time and you've got to stay true to yourself. And I've, I've always done that. Um, and I think that's really helped me to get to the kind of like the leadership positions that I'm in now. Anybody that I've ever worked with will, will tell you I have no problem. No, I don't care what, whether you're a, a C, C-suite executive or, or a manager or I, I will just say it as it is. And, and you've got to be frank and open let's face it, you know, data is really important to organizations. And if we, we've got to be honest about what its nuances are, you know, we can't make it fit somebody else's story. It tells its own story. Um, and that's, that's super important. So you've probably got, uh, I hope you don't offend any of the recent guests when I say this, but you've got a pretty uh, good home office, the best I've seen in a while. What's your top working from home tip? <laughs> top working from home. Um, separation absolutely um i'm i could be described as a bit of a workaholic uh i, I don't see myself i for starters i don't have a job as such i can you know absolutely say i get to play at doing what i love most i don't see it as as, as a job I feel like it's a nine to five. So I do, I am guilty of not switching off. Um, so having, having an office space um, has been the best thing for me because actually when I walk out that door, I can actually turn off. I can shut the door behind me um, and I don't have, you know, I might have a tablet downstairs, but it's got no work stuff on it. And it's about having that separation. All of the work stuff is in this one room and that's where it sits and it doesn't come out of this room uh, and that's been really useful for me to kind of turn off um other than that what could i say well i i think working from home as well it's really important to give yourself breaks like you get up and walk around an office um it's very easy to get really bogged down at the desk when you're working from home and i think there are a lot of people who are really guilty of not giving them selves time and it's really important that we all look after ourselves mentally and physically during this crisis and that's that's got to be probably the most important tip is to make sure that you look after yourself what does your routine look like what's my routine look like i so my routine varies um from day to day um so generally uh, i'm a very early riser i think um yeah, some people will probably be horrified when they hear this, but uh, I, I like to get up around about 4.30, quarter to five in the morning. Uh, and basically, I start my day off with uh, just a few things. So um, I like to spend um, the first part of my day in, in, in silence. 10, 15 minutes, kind of come in the office, kind of like sit down, try and ground myself, kind of think about what what's important today. It's not about having, it's not about silence of, of the area. It's, it's kind of like silence of the mind, uh, kind of letting my mind tell me what I need to do rather than me trying to think. It's a, more of a natural thing. Um, and then it's about going through a few steps. So uh, I like to kind of affirm what I'm going to be doing today. I like to spend that time to say, right, this is what I'm going to achieve. This is what I need to do. I like to try and visualize some sort of goal for the end of the day that I can achieve. So I have something vision in front of me to work towards. Uh, I think that's a really, really, really important thing for myself. Um, I spend a good 10 to 
20 minutes in the morning, generally doing a little bit of reading. Um, reading's a really good top for me, it's really good in the morning, allows me to kind of really draw that in. Um, and I always will write three things that I've been really grateful for um, in my life and three things that I'm going to focus on today to make myself a better person, a better leader, a better manager. Uh, and that's kind of normally takes me up to about eight o'clock in the morning when I then just kind of like, I'll get all my emails out of the way from the day before, process anything that's like really important. Then I kind of start working on focusing on what I need to get done for the day. And then I, I will spend time at the end of my day as well to kind of de-stress. So at the end of every day, I kind of like to keep a little bit of a diary. It sounds very old fashioned, uh, but I like to like, I like to make five main points about what happened today, whether it be, I found this really helpful today. This really was a struggle for me today because of X. Uh, I need to focus on doing this tomorrow because clearly I wasn't able to do it today. Um, and I like to be able to do that so I can look back and see if there's recurring themes that I can kind of work on myself. I think, you know, it's all about him. Life's a learning journey in itself and we're always improving. And I like to make sure that I have time at the beginning of the day and the end of the day to manage that. I really like the idea of the kind of business meditation and the, the constant introspection as well. That's, that's super interesting. Uh, what are you curious about right now, whether it's in data or education or, or outside of that? Um, psychology is like i keep i keep picking up psychology books lately i just i'm really into reading about psychology i love how the mind works um i like how we think i like how how those kind of things are, are around so yeah i'm really interested in that um but as a computer person a data person a bit of a definitely a geek um i like to have stuff that involves me not being in front of a computer screen. So uh, actually this is probably quite, quite an off the wall one, um, but I, I quite, quite like woodworking. That really interests me at the moment. It's my way of actually finding um, time to do stuff like physically with my hands and feel that kind of connection uh, and not be in front of a computer or looking at data or spreadsheets or, or what have you. So who's your uh, favorite, you know, uh, current psychologist or author on psychology? good question well there's, there's quite a few um and i like i like kind of piecemealing stuff together so i like watching stuff from ted i think ted is a really good place to kind of go and find really great stuff i'm quite interested in some of the tidbits that uh neil patel's been talking about from a psychological point of view about customers um i have a really good book here at the moment which is from several authors um, combined talking about psycho psychology and, uh, and stuff to do with that. Um, I particularly like Seth Godin's approach to building teams and working with teams and unpicking some of the psychological components of that. While they're not necessarily a psycho psychology book, there are real psycho psychological elements inside of that that we want to be picking up on, for sure. And what advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data? That's really interesting. I was talking to somebody else about uh, this is that question, but not, not necessarily from a data point of view, but just as leaders. Um, I think leadership can sometimes feel a bit lonely, um, particularly if, you're, if your leadership is because 
you own that business as well. And I think owning a business can be quite a, quite a lonely kind of lifestyle, really. Um, it's very hard to kind of talk about things of your day with your partner and things like that. So um, I think what one of the things that I, I spoke about somebody with, with lately is like being a good leader is actually like sometimes you feel vulnerable and sometimes you feel a bit like an imposter at, at times and it's all right. That's all right to feel like that because if you're not feeling like that, you're not really pushing the boundaries of where you want to be. We don't know everything and you'll never know everything and it's all right to accept that. And I think that's really important about being a leader is that we, we are always still growing. You may be a leader, but you're, you're still learning to become a leader all of the time. Fantastic advice from Darren and Robertson from Primary Leap. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much.